Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. It can be found on page 8 in the Pew Bible. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer, and today is a momentous day in the life of Ebenezer Church. Today is one of those mountaintop kind of experiences. Pastor Mark mentioned just a few moments ago that uh, our confirmands are going to be joining the church in our next service, the 1115 uh, service. It's a, it's a great day, and as as we were thinking about how do you how do you address a day like this, an important day in the lives of those young people, but also an important day in the lives of of the church. And we started to talk, talk and think about how, how we could communicate well what the church should be. And so today what I want to do with you is, is I want to contrast two stories in the Bible. The first story is the one we heard read this morning from Genesis chapter 11. The second story we'll, we'll talk about in, in just a moment. But uh, I want to compare these two stories to help us better understand how Christ is calling us to be at work in the context of the church and how the, God is calling the church to be at work in the context of the world. Um, so let's start with this story from Genesis chapter 11. A curious story, the story of the Tower of Babel. But let me give you a little bit of context for it. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are what's called the primeval history. That's the history of the whole world. It's how the whole world was created and how the whole world experienced sin, how the whole world encountered a flood. It's the history of the whole world. Uh, and that, that, that section kind of ends uh, in, in ver- chapter 11 with the story of Babel and just a couple of things come after it. But really the, the end of the primeval history is the story of Babel. And and then in chapter 12 of Genesis, the next chapter, God, God begins this, this relationship with a guy named Abraham. You could say it this way. You could say that in Genesis chapter 12, God begins in earnest God's redemption of the world. Therefore, you could also say that in Genesis chapter 11, we see humanity at its most broken. We... We see us at our, our rock bottom. So I want to look at this story from Genesis chapter 11 to see in part what we are apart from God's redemptive effort. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Genesis chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. 
Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Now I want to point out four things that we learn about our natural human condition in this, this tale from the story of Babel. The first thing is this. People wanted comfort. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city. People wanted comfort. Let's build ourselves a city. Let's, um, there we go. We wanted comfort. You can write that on the back of your bulletin if you want to. You know. uh, let's build ourselves a city. Let's, let's make houses for ourselves. Let's build parks, a temple. Maybe we could get a Starbucks, right? Let's build ourselves this place where we can be, where we can have things that please us. Let us be comfortable. But that's not all. Let's keep reading in verse 4. They said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. This wasn't any tower. This was a tower with its top in the heavens. The idea was they were going to build a tower that was so tall that it would put the creation on equal footing with the Creator. They didn't just want comfort. They also wanted power. Remarkable power. But that's not all. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. We want people to remember us, to remember our mighty deeds, to remember our legacy. They wanted comfort. They wanted power. They wanted notoriety. And finally, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. If we don't build ourselves an appropriately defensible set of walls, we might be scattered. We might have to go out there in the world. They wanted to stave off that which was other than themselves. They wanted isolation. Think about this for a moment. Right before God begins in earnest God's redemptive effort, we find this story about humanity... And when we read the story, we learn four things. Apart from the grace of God, what we tend to long for is comfort, power, notoriety, and we just want people to leave us alone. We want isolation. Now, I want to contrast that image of humanity with another story in the Bible. Because this is Confirmation Sunday. It's a day when we reflect on the church. And the day the church was born, uh, that story takes place in Acts chapter 2. So if, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Now these two stories are in, in many respects complementary stories of one another. Think about the result of the story of the Tower of Babel. The people walked away from the Tower of Babel unable to understand one another. Right? That's why it's called the Tower of Babel. They were babbling. They couldn't understand each other. What happens in Pentecost is the absolute reversal of what happens at Babel. People come in speaking different languages and all of a sudden by the power of God, they begin to understand and connect 
with one another. They are, from the, 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 the balcony view, they are complementary stories. But I think if we go deeper, we see that there's even greater complementary ways that, that they, they are connected with one another. So let's, let's look at, at Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Notice, before the church is born, the people are still in the midst of their isolation. All together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house when they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. What kind of, ty- what kind of tongue sat on each of them? A tongue of fire. Now, when we tell this story to one another, often on the day of Pentecost, when we celebrate the birthday of the church, we tell this story and we say, oh, it was a holy day and an important day. And it was all of those things. You know what it was not? It was not a comfortable day. If the tongue were made of chocolate, it would have been a comfortable day. The tongue wasn't made of chocolate. The tongue was made of fire. And when God's fire gets inside of me, I might transform the world and I might do things I never expected to be able to do. But one of the things I will not be when the fire of God is consuming me is comfortable. Left to our own devices, humanity wants comfort. But when the Holy Spirit showed up and the church was born, the church became willing to accept discomfort for the glory of God. We accepted discomfort for the glory of God. In verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Who gave them the ability? The Spirit gave them the ability. These, the disciples were not able to speak in different languages because they'd participated in a language lab. They hadn't downloaded Rosetta Stone to their tablets. The people, uh, thanks to those of you who chuckled at that, I, I appreciate that. The people, the people who were responding to God that day, they, they weren't doing this thing. They weren't able to connect with people who were different and other than them because of their own power. They were able to connect with people who were different than them because of God's power, because they received power. This is an important, important thing for us at Ebenezer Church. I think this is actually a really important point to dwell on for just a moment at Ebenezer because We've got some remarkably gifted people at Ebenezer Church. You know, we have, we have generals here at Ebenezer Church. We also have people who work for a living here at Ebenezer Church. <laughs> Is Blake Ortner here today? <laughs> I, I've joked before that, you know, you can't swing a dead cat at Ebenezer without hitting a full bird kernel in this place. We have some people who have remarkable skills and, and tremendous gifts and ability and our gifts are important. Honing our gifts is important. But at the same point, we have to know that our power is not going to be sufficient to climb the mountain that God has placed in front of us. The only way we can do the many things God is calling us to accomplish is if we are connected to the true source of power. How does that happen? It happens as we might imagine. It happens by spending time with Christ in that daily diet of scripture reading and prayer, fellowship in the context of Christian community. I love, I love the story of Paul when he's, he's really struggling. He, he has this affliction 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells the story about his affliction. He says, I prayed to God three times that God would take this away from me. And God said, no. Because my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Many of us have been willing to share our strengths to build the kingdom of God. I wonder if we would also be willing to share our weaknesses, our vulnerability. Because that is where, in the midst of our vulnerability, that is where God's power shows up most perfectly. In other words, maybe God isn't so much inviting us to ask for the good of the kingdom. What am I good at doing? Maybe instead, God is calling us to confront the question, what am I terrified of? And then walk towards that thing. Not what would be natural and what would be easy, but rather, what is it that I could undertake in the full knowledge that the only way I will ever accomplish this thing is if God gives me the power. Humanity left to its own devices wants power for its own sake. However, when the Spirit gets a hold of us, we receive true power from the source of all power. Look at chapter 2, verse 5 with me. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and the sound they gathered and were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they said, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans... How is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. Whose deeds of power were they talking about? God's deeds of power. They were talking about God's deeds of power. My brothers and sisters, left to our own devices, we have this, this tendency to seek our own notoriety, but when the fire of God is at work inside of us, when we're plugged into God's power, all we want to do is not to glorify our names, all we want to do is bring glory to the risen Christ. We want to give glory to Christ. So, Peter stands up. He preaches the first sermon in the history of the church. He tells the story about Jesus, about the way that that Christ conquers our sin and our brokenness and our fears and our failures. He talks about the way that God has caused death to die. And when he finished speaking, listen to what the people around him said. It's in verse 37 that we're continuing. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And then look in verse 43. Awe came upon everyone. 
Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, all who believed were together and had things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number all those who were being saved. They wanted to share the gospel with everyone, but that's not all. They wanted to share their food with everyone. They wanted to share their time with everyone, their kindness and their goodwill with everyone. This is a place that welcomed all. Left to our own devices, we seek isolation. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of us, we seek inclusion. We seek inclusion. The Spirit calls us to be Inclusive. Now let me talk about that for just a moment. Because the idea of inclusion can sometimes mean to some people that every idea is equally valid. That's, that's, that's not true. In the church, in fact, uh, our confirmands have, have been talking for these last several months about what is, what is it that is core, that is central, that's non-negotiable about our Christian faith. That's what this whole series that we've been walking through these last several weeks has been about. What is at the center of our faith? We absolutely believe there is a God, and that God is good. That God is powerful. That God is intimate and close. We believe that human beings have been struck by this thing called sin. And then it can bend us over towards the ground. We believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the means of salvation for the world. Here's my point, church. Our goal is to be wildly hospitable and loving. Not so that every idea is validated. Our radical hospitality, our love, our inclusion helps people hear and accept the gospel. We want to include everyone in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So if we look at this paradigm for just a moment, what we really see are two ways of being. One is when humanity is left to its own devices. The other is when the Spirit is at work inside of us. Two very, very different ways that we could be. Are we going to seek our own comfort? Or are we going to allow ourselves to encounter the fire of God that will break down our arbitrary barriers? Are we going to seek power for ourselves or are we going to to recognize the only way we can change the world is by being connected to the true source of power? Are we going to seek our own notoriety advocating for our legacies? Or are we going to do everything we can to give glory to Christ? Finally, are we going to choose isolation? Or, with clarity about our non-negotiables, are we going to welcome all in the name of Christ? Go out and seek opportunities for spiritual conversations, opportunities to be radically loving and hospitable. Two models of how we can be people of faith. Two models of how we can be the church. Which one will we choose? Man, our answer to this question is the difference between success and failure. Spiritually, it's the difference between life and death. 
I don't mean to be stark, but I want our confirmants, I want all of us to know the stakes are high. And how we choose to be the body of Christ matters. But I also don't want to lose the fact that today is a day of great celebration. And in honor of that celebration, I wanted to share some wisdom with you from one of my two favorite doctors. My favorite doctor is Dr. Andy, my wife. But my second favorite doctor is a doctor by the name of Dr. Seuss. And this is a book of his called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. We, uh, we bought a copy of this book for all of our compromands, uh, for today. And I, I just wonder, could, could you, you know, Jesus said that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, like little children. I'm wondering, would you, would you indulge me for just a moment? I just want to read you an excerpt from this, not, not only for the sake of this being Confirmation Sunday, but because Dr. Seuss in this book is going to tie together our two stories from the Bible a little bit more for us. So, so listen to this. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you'll top all the rest, except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, for a most useless place. The waiting place. For people just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow. Waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite. Waiting for the wind to fly a kite. Waiting around for Friday night. Or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No. That's not for you. I love, I love Dr. Seuss. I love the way he talks about this waiting place. Because one of the things I want our confirmands to hear today, but the whole church should hear this too, is that there are some moments in our lives when things haven't gone exactly as, as we planned. And our tendency may be to hide, to stick our heads in the sand, to stay where we are. <laughs> we find ourselves in the waiting place. Dr. Seuss says that's not for us. So too does the Bible. Not that a strategic pause doesn't from time to time have its place, but let me point out just one further difference between the people of Babel and the people of the church. The people of Babel wanted to stay, didn't they? 
They wanted to be stagnant. They wanted to build their city, erect their towers and walls. But the church of Jesus Christ isn't called to stay. We are called to go. We're called to go and grab those silly peeps and invite people to Easter. We're called to look for opportunities for spiritual dialogue in the midst of our everyday lives. We're called to go into our homes and our schools and our places of work and be the church. What kind of people will we be and what kind of church will we be? Get uncomfortable and go. Not for our own notoriety, but always for the glory of Christ. Go. Not in our own power, but in God's power. Go. Not for our benefit, but so that all, all, all would experience freedom in Christ. Go. You know the way this book ends? last few lines go like this. They say, you will succeed. Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Ali Van Allen O'Shea. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of people of faith are we going to be? Are we going to prize our own comfort or let the fire of God consume us? Are we going to seek our own power or connect to the power of Christ? Are we going to long for our own notoriety and legacy or always give glory to the one true God? Are we going to isolate ourselves or be radically inclusive so that We can share the gospel. Are we going to stay? Or are we going to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell our confirmants today that they have a big responsibility. Not just by joining the church, but they have a responsibility to hold us accountable. To be the kind of church that God calls us to be. So once more, for their sake and for ours, would you join me in a word of prayer? Holy God, we thank you for the honest reflection of Scripture about who we could be apart from you. And we confess our own sin, that there have been times that we have, we have sought our own comfort at all costs. Times... We've given you the things that we're good at, but hidden our fears. There have been times we've sought our own notoriety, times that we've wanted to just be left alone, but you call us to something different. You call us to get uncomfortable, to let your fire burn within us. You call us to bring glory to your name in your power. You call us 
to be clear about what we believe, but to welcome all. You call us to go. Thank you for our confirmands. Thank you for the people in this room who have changed their diapers along the way. Thank you for the people in this room who've read them stories and taught them about the gospel. Thank you for this next generation of believers. Help us, O oh God, to continue to model the church that you've called us to be for them and help them to lead us into a bright and beautiful tomorrow. In the name and always to the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen.